A quick note before we get started on this month's episode. The Unstoppable Rock podcast is thrilled to announce that illustrator Molly Steinmetz has joined our team. Each month, Molly will create a custom portrait of our guest. To find more information about Molly and her work, visit at HeyMollyKate on Instagram or search for her store on Etsy.com. That's E-T-S-Y.com and search for HeyMollyKate. That's H-E-Y-M-O-L-L-Y-K-A-T-E. You can also go to UnstoppableRock.com to see her portraits for this show and find direct links to Molly's Instagram and Etsy store. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to the Unstoppable Rock Podcast. I'm your host, Sasha Alcott. This is a podcast for anyone who makes, supports, loves, or is curious about the world of independent music and DIY touring. Myself, along with my partner, Chris Viner, tour, write, record, and distribute our music under the name When Particles Collide. Because we tour 40-plus weeks out of the year, we meet a lot of folks along the way. This is a podcast where I sit down and talk to some of our friends and colleagues about DIY music, their hometown, and feature new music that you've likely never heard before. Before we get started on this month's episode, here's where you can see When Particles Collide play live during the next four weeks. Friday, February 7th, we'll be at the Alcove Tavern in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Saturday, February 8th, we'll be at Druid City Brewing, also in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Sunday, February 9th, is an acoustic house concert in Birmingham, Alabama. Wednesday, February 12th, we're at Cafe Sydney May in Bro Bridge, Louisiana. Thursday, February 13th, we're at Southside Arts Center in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Friday, February 14th, we're at Devil in the Deep Brewing in Galveston, Texas. Saturday, February 15th, we're at Ronnie's in Houston, Texas. Sunday, February 16th, we're at the Galveston Bay Oasis in Galveston, Texas. Later that day, we'll have an acoustic house concert in Houston, Texas. Wednesday, February 9th, we're at Andy's in Denton, Texas. Thursday, February 20th, we're at Tantra in San Marcos, Texas. Friday, February 21st, we're at Revolution Cafe in Bryan, Texas. Saturday, the 22nd, we're at Fanny's in Lockhart, Texas. Sunday, February 23rd, where we have an acoustic house concert in Houston, Texas. Friday, February 28th, we're in Jackson, Tennessee. Saturday, February 29th, we're at the P&H Cafe in Memphis, Texas. Monday, March 2nd, we have an acoustic house concert in Cape Girardeau. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Missouri. And Thursday, March 5th, which is when the next episode of this podcast comes out, we'll be at the Mag Bar in Louisville, Kentucky. You can check WhenParticlesCollide.com for all the details of our live shows. Today, our guest is Adrian Ray Ash. Adrian is the singer and guitar player for the Fort Collins, Colorado bass band Plasma Canvas. Along with drummer Jude McCarran, Plasma Canvas is a two-piece band that is the self-proclaimed loudest, gayest band in the world. They've played with Iron Sheik, Descendants, Dirty Rotten Imbeciles, Pears, The Ataris, Paws, and most recently with Against Me. They also played the Vans Warped Tour in both Denver and St. Louis for the final nationwide tour in 2018. The band explains that their music is about fighting back, whether that be with force, with volume, or with just existing as an act of rebellion. Plasma Canvas is also the winner of the 2020 Fort Collins Musicians Association Best in Punk Award. I sat down with Adrienne in her living room the last time we toured through Fort Collins. Near the end of our conversation, Adrienne explains how she thinks, non-linearly, like a splash of paint on a canvas. We, of course, sat down and spoke with time, ticking as linearly as it does. But if you pay close attention, you can feel ideas, themes, and answers to questions circling back on themselves as Adrienne guides me through her journey so far. 
There are some big themes running through our conversation. Body issues, including eating disorders and body dysmorphia come up pretty quickly. We also talked a lot about confidence as a way to work through insecurities, punk rock as an identity, and finding an authentic voice. In all of our conversation, I found that there were no easy answers. Adrian doesn't answer questions in an economical, easily digestible soundbite. Instead, she guides us through her experiences, insights, and personal point of view to, if you'll pardon the heavy-handed analogy, to paint a larger picture. When I was in high school, I developed an eating disorder during my ninth grade year. Four years later, I wrote about the experience in a first-year college English class. I knew I had to paint my disordered eating in a negative light, but my instructor pointed out that I wasn't making a clear argument. It seemed as though there were a lot of positive things that went along with the negative behavior of severely restricted eating. I was more organized, I felt more self-confident, and I felt like I could get more things done. I've never really kicked my obsession with food and eating. I've just tried to channel my thoughts and behaviors into healthier habits. Of course, if you have a tendency towards overdoing it, there will always be forays into the highs and lows of behavior. I think you'll hear a lot of this kind of swinging into and out of thoughts about ambition, identity, and confidence during our conversation. But one thing is clear, Adrian and her band Plasma Campus are an incredible tour de force. As always, adult language follows. In addition to eating disorders and body dysmorphia, our listeners might wanna know ahead of time that we talked about assault and substance use and abuse. Okay, here we go. Here's me chatting with Adrienne Ray Ash. Onesies. Okay, so maybe starting the summer after my last year of teaching, mm-hmm. I um, I lost like 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm not a super big person, but I was like, got pretty thin and... Oh, okay. What's fun about being, one of the things that's fun about being thin is you can like. Wear onesies. You can wear onesies. And I, you know, and I was probably like 42 or something at the time. And I was just like feeling really fierce and fabulous. And I bought all these onesies and I was still teaching. So I had money and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm entering my David Bowie phase. I'm like, you know, yeah, going to be this. Yeah, yeah, it was totally go me. And it the was fight video. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fun, right? So it was really fun. But then I gained, you know, most of it back as one does. And I, I don't know. I started to feel uncomfortable. And I also started to feel like, I don't know if you ever feel this way, but like sometimes I feel very strange or awkward about being like, the part of performing that's like, look at me, look at me. Uh-huh. Hey, everybody, look at me. Right. And like, especially touring, like showing up in the sparkly onesie, playing the dive bar to like 10 people. Like, yeah. I just, I don't know. I felt like, I felt like I was, something was disingenuous about it. Yeah. Even though everybody's like, oh my God, you're this like 40 whatever year old woman wearing a sparkly onesie. It's so badass. And I'm like, it is. But I think I'm just going to wear these jeans today. Yeah. <laughs> Try to yeah. play really, really well. Well, it's all about whatever makes you feel confident. I know. And I if, know. They, if they made you feel confident at one time and they don't know, that's okay. I know, I know. So, well, I feel like you have a really interesting story. Like, music. Yeah. Like, do you want to start in Missouri or you want to start, like, do you want to um, start after that? We can start in Missouri, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's provides a little bit of context. 
Yeah. <laughs> Are you rolling right now? I am. I've been rolling. Oh, cool! Since, right on. I've been rolling since like <laughs> my talk about the the onesies. Oh, the onesies. Yeah, the ah, dude, the onesies. I yeah, I wish I could pull those off, but like I could probably maybe get them on, but I'd have to peel them off. So one time, Chris and I dressed as each other for Halloween. That's incredible. And he put on a onesie, and he I had pink hair at the time, and he got a, like a pink wig, and then mm-hmm. I dressed the same with a wrestling shirt. And like sideburns and a hat. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, I, it was in like shorts. It was good. We looked really <laughs> He looked good. He, he said actually that it was very comfortable. He's, a, he's not a small person. No, he's not a small dude. No. <laughs> he's not. So I also think you could wear whatever you wanted, but whatever makes you feel. Yeah, I mean like I have like some things that I wear that make me feel confident sometimes and then I'll try to wear them another time and I'm just like, I'm not feeling this. This looks stupid and I look stupid. Yep. And it, I don't know. It's strange. Is it, It's really, yeah. No, it's Have, totally Having strange. a body and being a human being is a very awkward experience. It's totally <laughs> awkward and then seeing photos of yourself and sometimes I have these moments where I'm really confident and I'm like, yes! And like, and then I'll see a photo and I'll be like, my thighs are the size of Texas and my face yeah. is wrinkly and weird. And I, none of that matters. Cause it's like, nobody looks at a person and a snapshot of like one second. You're like, you watch people in real time. I don't know. But yeah, I weird. get that. I definitely get that. I have a lot of like body issues and like 10,000 different ways. So <laughs> I feel you. Yeah. It's like, not only is this like, you know, was I assigned a gender I didn't want? But I also, like, had to deal with being a chubby kid. So, like, that's... And I'm still working through all of that stuff. And, like, you know, it's just... Um, yeah. Being a fat trans woman is not not super fun most of the time. But, like, you know, I feel like you could say that about having any body. Because, like, you know, a lot of people with a lot of different kind of body types have a lot of body dysmorphia. Yeah. And... You know, I'm I'm not any different. I just like, I only know what I experience, yeah. and I know that like, you know, looking in the mirror sometimes is a real big chore, especially yeah. like when I don't know. There are sometimes when I'll just like throw something on and go play a show because I know that the show is gonna rule, and I don't give a shit what I look like, and it's kind of like liberating to not even care what I look like walking in there because I know I'm gonna crush it. And like they can all eat my entire ass, <laughs> you know, but yes, yeah, <laughs> I think one of the things that struck me the first time we met, you know, we played a show together. Mm. I was like, I guess it was probably like two and a half years ago, maybe for the first time. And yeah, yeah damn. Yeah. And we rolled into Surfside and you just came barreling in and you were like stoked for the show, like two femme fronted bands, like two pieces. This is going to rule. And you were just like. And then, like, I didn't even know what hap- was happening. And then you took the stage, and I was like, what is even... Yeah, like, your confidence <laughs> is on stage during your performance, you know, I'll say. You know, it's, like, oh, overwhelming. It's pretty amazing. Like, Thanks. I don't think I ever walk into a room and I say, here I am, this is what I do, this is, like, gonna... I'm just, I'm like, I'll just wait my turn. Well, fake it till you make it, right? Yeah. Like- <laughs> You know, you should have, you should have seen me in, in, in school. Like it was, I am such an ambivert and it's very strange. <laughs> you what is 
what like does it mean you can be an introvert or an extrovert yeah it means i have tendencies of both characteristics and like you know when you get me around people i'm comfortable with like i am the social butterfly of all social butterflies but like if i'm in a room full of people that like the worst is whenever i'm at like industry functions or like rubbing elbows with people that like are respectable and like hey i really like your band i'm like hey cool i don't care what you do <laughs> you know, I mean, like that's that's a rude way to phrase it, but it's like, I, you know, thank you for for enjoying my band. I'm a punk, and I don't belong in this room full of respectable people. Right. And, you know, and I just, I don't, I'm not really big on crowds to begin with. But if it's like a show, then I'm comfortable. But if it's like, you know, some event at some place, and like I have to um, just meet people. And talk to people. Sometimes it can be fun, but a lot of times it's just really stressful. And like, so I think a lot of times, you know, especially when I'm like, um, yeah, a lot of times whenever I have that kind of energy is because I'm really nervous and I'm really anxious and I'm just trying to like harness it and put it in a certain direction and just go with it. Cause like, I'm just terrified of looking like an idiot but if i accept the fact that i'm just gonna look like an idiot and go for it then i don't care as much and it's not as bad and that's that energy is infectious to other people because then other people feel comfortable you know thank you and also like i know we played a halloween house show together and i was dressed up as andrew wk and i did that (laughs) for like three consecutive years (laughs) Um, and I don't regret it at all. I think uh, a lot of like this nervous energy that I have and this tendency to just like go for it, go for it, go for it is just because I love Andrew WK and like that's what he's about. The unbreakable party spirit. Right. And just like trying to find a way to be excited about everything it, as much as you can. And, you know, you don't have to wait until the weekend to party. You can party through your work day. Like, petting a dog counts as partying. Oh, absolutely. You know, <laughs> peanut butter and jelly sandwiches count as partying. Uh, naps count as partying as long as you nap hard. Um, I'm a real, <laughs> in that case, I know how to party pretty yeah, hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before almost every show, we nap. Uh, that's one of the. It's one of the particle rules. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, That's why you always are just so chipper and nice. <laughs> I well, I'm generally I don't know. I'm happy for most of the time. Yeah. But um, one of the things I think that also sort of like imp- I don't know amazes me about you and your music is that I feel like there's no like you have a very clear vision of the kind of music you want to make and what you want to make and how you want to say it. And mm-hmm. like, have you always had that or am I wrong? Am I right? Or am um, I wrong? Well, I think like it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Cause like, I know that I have a lot of feelings and I know that my mama told me that it's good to express them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, all of the music is, you know, I mean, like, I want to I wanna make people feel okay. You know, I want to bring people together and, like, make people feel like they have a space to be themselves and that they don't have to um, be afraid of what other people think because, like, there's someone on stage that looks more ridiculous than everybody else in the room. So you can be you because... I'm already being me to 11. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, uh, 
definitely going to credit Andrew WK again for that. Because, like, I, the dude, you know, really makes people come out of their, out of their shell. And, like, that, that's what he did for me. But, like, as far as, like, having a, a clear and direct vision of what I want to do, I don't, I wouldn't say that really as much as, like, I just try to be honest. Like, mm-hmm. I just try to write about whatever I'm feeling at the time. Like, I, um, I was really bad at journaling, like, you know, cause my mom made it sound like you got a journal every day and it made it feel like homework. And I was like, I don't want to do homework, but you know, whenever I started to write like really crappy edgy poetry in seventh grade, and then I was starting to play guitar around the same time, I was like, well, if I put these two things together, I can make really terrible songs, but they'll still be songs. They'll be songs. We've yeah. all written them. Yep. <laughs> so it, you know, over time it just became like, you know, I, um, I wrote songs to deal with my life. It's just always been about like trying to find whatever way I can to tell my own truth. And like, maybe other people can relate to that. Specifically with Plasma Canvas, it was the first time I was able to ever write about being trans. Mm-hmm. And so like, there's a lot of like, pro trans messages and like pro equality messages in general. Because, like, in older bands, I wasn't really sure what to write about. Yeah. um, Because I didn't know who I was Mm -hmm. and how I related to the world and other people. And it was just, like, it was such a mindfuck because I didn't know how to express myself. And, like, I felt like every time I wrote a song, I was lying, but I didn't know how or why. And so... That's so interesting. Yeah. That's, That's really interesting. It was a weird feeling because, like, I just felt like no matter what I wrote, I was doing it wrong. And then, like, whenever it clicked that, like, I wasn't telling the truth because I didn't know how and much less, like, from what perspective to tell it, you know, then, like, the floodgates were open. I was like, oh, okay, well, it's, ah, oh, okay, well, that's that's what's (laughs) up. I got to write like a chick because <laughs> I have been for the last 24 years and I didn't know. I was right. 24 whenever I came out as trans. I'm 29 and uh, I don't know what that means, but I'm still stoked to be alive. That's I'm, cool. I think there are a lot of people who are pretty stoked you're alive. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you always know that you wanted Plasma Canvas to be a two-piece? No. No. Um, well... We'll back it up a little bit. Yeah. I was in Missouri in a band. I know. Called... I didn't want to press the Missouri thing. Oh, no, you're fine. But... <laughs> it's cool. I mean, there's a lot of pain there, but, you know, I've worked through a lot of it. But, like, I was in this band, and we had been a band for a few years, and it was kind of starting to slow down. Like, we were kind of, like, not really having as much fun as we used to, and, like, everybody was pretty different, like, politically, and, like, people were we just had like different stuff going on and like nobody was really as into it as they were. And like, we all struggled with like having a bunch of free time. And so we just ended up calling it quits, but I started writing a bunch of songs in the year that went by where my old band was kind of dying down and I was figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. And I lived in my hometown of Union, Missouri for about a year after I came out of Strands. And in that year, I had a lot to write about because, you know, I was just living among people that thought that people like me were an abomination. And like, so that was when I wrote like the majority of the first record. You know, I just, I had a lot to say and I finally like had found 
the voice with which to say it. But I didn't, you know, I couldn't find anybody in Missouri, like, especially in my tiny little city that, like, wanted to, like, not only could play the drums, but, like, also wanted to play punk, but also wanted to, like, play punk with a specific message that I wanted to deliver. Yeah. And so that combined with, like, I just need to get out of here and start another life. You know, I ended up uh, meeting um, Aaron Say. God bless Aaron Say. God bless Aaron Say. <laughs> at, uh, at an Against Me and Gaslight Anthem show. And he convinced me to move to uh, Colorado about a year later. And so whenever I got here, I was just like, okay, well, I have these 13 songs. And I want to make a record with 13 songs on it because that just sounds cool. Right. It's very rock and roll. I just want to have 13 (laughs) songs. And I, you know, like, I know that punk records, like, it's supposed to be like 10 songs. It's supposed to be like half an hour. And I was like, no, fuck that. Like, I'm a Metallica fan. Like, I want to take up the whole CD, like all the space on it. Yeah. And like, you know, as a result, like, I think that there's some stuff on the first record that kind of drags, but like, you know, it was the first time I had ever had a chance to like say what I needed to say. Right. And like, so I just had all these songs and I put up a Craigslist ad looking for a drummer. Cause I was like, I can play all of the other instruments. I just need someone to play the drums. And that was how I found Dave. Dave was originally just going to be like a hired gun. Like he was just going to come in and play the drums on the record. And then yeah. like, I was just going to figure it out. And the intention was, like, I'm going to form, like, a three, four, five-piece band, and, like, we're just going to play these songs. While we were recording the record, I was just like, well, you know, it could be fun if, like, we just went out and played a show or two. And, like, so we booked a couple shows at this place called The Forge, which was a DIY was spot, a DIY spot yeah. out of Boulder that was really awesome. Does it still exist or no? No. No, I feel like I've down. messaged them before, like, years ago, and they were like, we're closed. Yeah, that's right. They were. It was an incredible spot, and I missed them a lot. Yeah, we we played our first two shows, I think, there, and like our second show ever, I'm pretty sure, was with the Beeves, and like it was. It's wild to think about the fact that like they just made a record with with the dude from the Yoppers, and like they're like doing all this crazy stuff, and we played like our like. I think it was like their first show ever and our second show ever together really at cool. the forge. And anyway, we get hell off track, but like we booked a couple shows and Dave and I just decided like, well, let's just be a two piece. And then like, you know, uh, whenever Dave left and Jude came in, it just kind of, it really solidified because like that was when the drum set moved from like back here to like the front Mm-hmm. and like dave would like angle it sometimes um but sometimes it would still be in the back but like whenever jude came in that was when it became like officially like this is your half of the stage this is my half of the stage and like we're just gonna be right up on each other and feed off each other's energy and like make a lot of eye contact with each other and like it was a whole stage dynamic and it really just developed into being a two-piece because it wasn't originally supposed to be one right that's really interesting actually yeah i just really wanted to make a record because i had never made a record before (laughs) and like i had done like some recordings and stuff here and there but like you know i had never like made an an album that like had a narrative and like told the like a story that i wanted to tell and um you know so i was just like i'm gonna record all of these songs i don't care how much it costs i have a job i'll pay for it like i just need to get this story on done yeah have you always wanted to make music your 
full-time occupation all yeah. like always always pretty much since you picked up a guitar yeah and yeah. like with the band from missouri did you want that like when you were in the middle of it when it was going wild is you were you like this is the thing this is the i mean yes and no in retrospect it's probably like no i did you know like yeah hindsight is that's weird. okay yeah that's true i mean but i mean that like drive to yeah that drive was always there i mean you know there were there were no bones about it like and I'm going to, like, just toss out my punk card right now. Like, I did not care about, like, the punk rock ethos of, like, selling out or whatever. Like, I wanted to be a rock star. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, that was what I wanted to do since I was five. Yeah. I, that's why I'm asking. Because, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, my mom got me a toy electronic guitar when I was five years old. My cousin got one, too. And, like, there's this picture of us where he's just, like, looking at it like, well, it's cool. It's a toy. And I'm, like, it came with, like, a strap. And I'm, like, posing with it. <laughs> and I'm, like, yeah. Yeah, this yep. is my guitar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like five, six years old. Just, I always knew that, like, that was what I wanted to do. Like, I wanted to play guitar. And I think when I was a kid, I, like, maybe flirted with the idea of being a teacher. And then I, like, realized that I would have to go to college for a long time for that. And then I also realized that, like, high school really sucked the first time. Like, school in general was just shitty and terrible the first time around. And I didn't really want to go back there. It's good that you knew, I mean, it's good that you knew that. And there's that whole adage of like, if you have a career fallback, Mm -hmm. then that's what you'll do. Right. Yeah. That's the truth. The other thing is I watched a lot of rock and roll documentaries. A lot of those like (laughs) classic albums where they like go in and like pull up the, the, the mixing board and like fade things in and I love that stuff. Love those things and like, um, like all the behind the scenes stuff and like the biopics of like how rock stars did their thing and like listening to Laura Jane Grace's book and just like taking notes on how people did things and so like do how you, it's done. Do you feel like with this band in particular, you've been following sort of a plan? Sort of. I mean, I got lucky ending up in Fort Collins because there's, you know, I mean, half of Descendants live here. Like, there's a huge punk scene here. It's not, like, huge, huge. like, But it's a good group of people. Good group of people. Like, really good group of people with a lot of connections to everybody everywhere. And, like, you know, whenever Dave and I started playing out, we started making more and more connections. And then, like, over the last two years, like, Jude and I have really come into our own and, like... So there wasn't ever really a plan um, other than like, it's just been like a gradual build of like, well, let's play some shows. And then like, we ended up playing some bigger shows and then, you know, we kept getting like cooler and cooler offers coming in. And like, it's just, I didn't plan for any of it to happen, but at the same time, like I knew what I wanted to accomplish. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, I'm not good at planning. (laughs) (laughs) I just know like sort of a general idea of what it's supposed to look like. Right. And like the general steps that you're supposed to take and the fact that it takes a long time and you have to work at it constantly. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it feels, you feel like, I mean, I know, but you feel like things are coming, like things are progressing, I guess. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> things are <laughs> things are moving right along. <laughs> That's so great. It's cool. I think that it's a real mystery to a lot of folks who do what we do like how the progression 
like how that works. Like I know personally for my, for me and my various projects, but this one in particular, like we have something special. I like, I really believe that. And I think that we have, we've built a life where we have friends all over the country and it's very, very cool. But as far as the band goes, like nobody is coming in like to our team, you know, right. and no one is showing interest in, in what we do outside of individual people we meet, you know what I mean? Like fans. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's very interesting to me. I feel like there is this sort of mystery of how like a band or an artist begins to accumulate that in like more, not industry, like with a capital I, not like LA and Nashville, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean? Like how that sort of, happens it's sort of mis- mysterious but all you can do is keep working i guess yeah at it like keep playing keep writing yeah it's 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 a it's a very i don't know it's a i think it's something that a lot of people who do what we do feel flummoxed by i, I would agree with that because like you know it was always the dream to play these huge shows and like you know, to work with these really cool people and, and everything like that. But like, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't think it was, I mean, I feel like it's disingenuous to say I didn't think it was ever no. going to happen. And that's why I'm giving, you can't tell from listening, but I'm giving you a look, which is like, <laughs> yes, no, no, you no, <laughs> you have a vision for yourself and you yeah. have a confidence and you know what you want. I like, just don't want to sound like a dick. No, but I don't think that you are a dick. You yeah. know, like I don't think, and that's I think a common theme in the folks who wind up making a career in music is there is this confidence or this like knowledge that that's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Like I don't think that's. It's just like you wouldn't call a a doctor who's like, no, I knew that I should be a surgeon and save people's lives and like that I was built, I was cut out for that. Like no one would be like, what a dick, that surgeon. You know what I mean? So Yeah, but I also don't want to be like, yeah, I knew uh, when I was five that I was God's gift to music. Well, no, 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 no. (laughs) But like, I think that's different from like, I want my life's work to be in music. It's a different sentiment <laughs> yeah yeah you're right you're totally right it is just like it kind of you know i just remember like music being on and my mom like singing and dancing to it and my grandma like really loving motown and like you know my grandma was so into motown it was so cool um i feel like motown is the like secret Gay. like when it's the music that pretty much everybody can agree on yeah like no matter where you are yeah. what the situation is it's yeah. like the great unifier. <laughs> yeah. And I just, you know, I remember like my grandma dancing to, to Motown and like my mom, you know, playing uh fucking journey. <laughs> well, there's a place. Come on. Yeah. I mean, there's, you Yeah, know. I mean, there's a place in everyone's heart for journey and it rests right next to nostalgia for me. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. I love my mom, but I like, I know all the words to every journey song against my will <laughs> uh, yes. yes 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 well there's that but i just you know i remember like feeling... i know a lot of eric clapton against my will right thanks dad that's that's fair <laughs> i just remember like the feeling that came over me whenever i heard music that felt like it was mine that felt like you know it 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 was made for me and like you know like you know maybe 
the first time you heard like Nirvana, like remember it well, you know, and by the, you know, when I was 12 and like really heard smells like teen spirit for the first time, you know, it was, they were practically a classic rock band. You're so young. I, yeah. Like, (laughs) let's see. I was 12. This is 2002. (laughs) Yeah. So you were two when it came out. Uh, yeah. yeah. 1991. I know yeah. because it was the year that I graduated high school and went 91. to college. Well, I was born in October yeah. of 90. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, whatever. Yeah. But no, I just, I remember, um, you know, hearing like some 41 for the first time and I was like, yeah, my mom hates this. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, my mom actually like showed me, um, the video for one by Metallica. And that was what made me want to play guitars. Cause she knew that like, I was dealing with a lot of, like, I was bullied in school a lot. And like, I was a kid in the middle of a divorce and like, it was a rough time. And so my mom showed me this like Metallica video and it was super heavy subject matter. And like, I just remember thinking like, you know, just having all of these intense feelings. And I was just like, I want to do that. Like, I want to do something really big and heavy and important and like make people feel things. And also like those dudes can shred. I want to play guitar like that. You do shred. Thanks. Yeah. I used to shred a lot harder when I was younger, whenever I practice all the time, but yeah, but (laughs) what's cool is the way that you put it into songs because you know you you write very like they're heavy and they're intense but they're very accessible yeah songs and i mean that as a high compliment by the way yeah, like thank not you. as like you know like you know people can can dig right in you know and know where you like, get in there and know where they are and then they're in there and all of a sudden there's this like you know there's this like crazy <laughs> shredding that happens but then you know but it's not all cuz if you if your project was all shred all the time it wouldn't right bring people in the way that yeah, just i think be, personally I'd just be dream theater yeah just be michelangelo audio and you know dream theaters made a great career out of themselves but like i don't That's want not- my fan base to be like low ponytail dudes yeah no and you <laughs> yeah. you know like what you were saying before about like bringing people together and having the, you know that's yeah. a different you know that's that's folk music in a way, right? Yeah. Like it's music for the folk, for the people to understand right. and to and to feel elevated and enlightened and, you know, by. But like, you know, I mean, that's in a way punk rock has a lot in common with folk in that way, in that way of accessibility, yeah. I guess. Well, and, you know, I think um, a big thing that happened, um, there was like a certain switch that got flipped at some point um, where I started going to more shows and like, you know, whenever I was a teenager in high school, I was, I was just listening to a lot of music, like on a CD player or whatever. And, you know, whenever I started going to shows and seeing bands do things in front of me, like that was when my perspective on things started to change. Cause like I valued shredding and musical prowess, like over all else when I was younger, because I was like, well, the, this band can play this BPM at this rate. And like, right. In this time signature and switch it to that time signature. And like, and like, don't get me wrong. Like twin guitar harmonies still make the hair on my arm stand up. Like, yeah. You know, and like a a decent guitar solo, like the guitar solo in uh, "No More Tears" by Ozzy Osbourne, like Zach Wild in that song, like that 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 lead just gets me every time because there's so much feeling in that in that guitar solo. But like, you know, just when that's all you do, right? You know, um, 
and you know i would i would see like these metal bands and they would just be standing in one place staring at their fretboard and the crowd would be bored as hell and like i realized that that was me because i was writing all these super complicated things when i was like 17 18 19 years old and whenever i finally like realized like oh it's more fun to like write stuff that's a little bit less complicated but still like challenging yeah has some and i get to jump around like i need to be able to like interact with people they need eye contact like you need you know they need lyrics that they want to sing because like that's what i want you know like when i was 19 maybe 1920 i think yeah i was uh i'm pretty sure i was yeah 20 I started playing with this band called Eric Moeller and the Strumalongs, and now they are called Eric Moeller and the All In Band. But um, hmm. okay, there, yeah, Eric's a great guy. But through playing with him, I got to play a ton of shows, and you learn a lot from taking a backseat. Because my name is not Eric Moeller, and so I strummed along with the Strumalongs. That's right. And you know, I. Um, I played rhythm guitar and did backup vocals and it kind of like, it forced me into some new perspectives and, you know, we played with a lot of other punk bands and I started noticing like, okay, well they're not playing like super intricate guitar solos, but these people are jumping off the walls. Like people are going nuts to this stuff and like, I can still, you know, I can play some leads, but like, it's not all about like, showing people how good I am at guitar. It's about creating a feeling and like allowing people to have that feeling and for everyone to feel like they're a part of the same team for a little while. Yeah. There's a difference between art that is separate and complicated and only the most erudite and well-educated can sort. Yeah, exactly. Can sort of, um, you can't see it, but I was totally making a jerk off. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) versus that accessibility thing and that that sense of belonging and yeah it's fun to watch somebody do something that you can't do but part of the thing that you can't do is like you were saying originally when we started talking like being your authentic self and being unafraid of looking silly or whatever Mm -hmm. i mean that is more inspiring impressive than playing like a really complicated guitar riff in some ways for a lot of people and it's probably scarier yeah than if you were like, okay, go up on that stage. I don't need you to jump. I don't need you to make eye contact. I don't need you to sing about anything personal. Just play this thing, this yeah. really complicated thing. At that, that would point, be, you know, anybody could do that. Yeah, that would be less scary than being like, show your most vulnerable self. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like, whenever we put out our first record, I realized, like, oh, my God, <laughs> that all of these people are going to know all of this stuff about me. Like, there's a song on there about when my mom's boyfriend tried to stab me in front of my family. And, like, it was the most terrifying experience. And uh, I still have PTSD. Like, I'm terrified of knives. And, like, I really don't like it when people, like, pull out their pocket knife and play with it and stuff. I just don't dig that stuff. People do that? Yeah, I mean, you know, like, you got your edgy, like, people that like to play with knives and lethal weapons and stuff. I just don't it's not good I don't like it but getting back to the point like I uh yeah there was just a lot of really personal vulnerable shit on that record and like I you know we were listening to it for the first time me and Dave and I was like dude that's out there now like 
all of that stuff is out there in the world. And he was like, yep. That's why I, I write about, like, wizards and stuff whenever I write <laughs> lyrics. And I was like, yeah, but, like, <sighs> there's nothing wrong with doing that. But, like, what yeah. What am I contributing to people's, like, well-being if I write about, like, fantasy stuff? Well, it's it's funny that you said when when you were discovering that you had always been female, you know, a woman and and you were, you were making that discovery and that adjustment. It's like, well, I got to write songs, you know, like you you said earlier, like from a woman's perspective. Right. And like, I think that that's generally very uh, common when, when you are trying to do something and whatever sort of group you identify with is underrepresented in that world, that truth telling and telling your story becomes a really important part of breaking into that opposed to if you feel like you already belong, like, Oh yeah. Like everybody like me does this thing. You can, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is a lot of dude bands write about stuff that is not personal, Yeah, you know? And you know, it's, it's, it occurs to me that this feels, I mean, there's exceptions everywhere, but it feels like a very common theme that a lot of women who play music, it's the lyrical content is very yeah. personal, often, not always. Yeah. You know. I mean, my so I could I got like four big favorite influences that um, have like stuck with me for for years, and uh, you know they're all people that wear their heart on their sleeves yeah you know and gerard way is non-binary but like for a long time people perceived him people perceived them as like uh you know like this front dude and like i just always admired um i don't think i know who that is he's uh gerard way is um well was the front man the front person for uh, my chemical romance oh okay yeah yeah there's a whole like 2000s that i missed i just missed it that's okay that's fine. It's all right. They made good stuff. <laughs> it influenced me. They tell me. But, you know, it's just... So there's uh, Laura Jane Grace from Against Me, of course, and um, Gerard Way, and then Brian Fallon from the Gaslight Anthem, and uh, my favorite band of all time, Jimmy Eat World, uh, Jim Adkins from Jimmy Eat World. And I think um, the thing that I've always loved about... Brian Fallon and Jim Adkins in particular is like they're masculine entities that are not afraid to talk about their feelings and like they're vulnerable. And like, I feel like, um, for a long time, I didn't know how to like access those parts of myself in particular, Mm -hmm. uh, unless it was like some corny love song. Right. And, um, you know, and even then it was just like always placing someone on a pedestal, you know, and like, that's not, it's not a healthy thing to do. I didn't know how to write about me and like those two bands in particular really helped me access that because there are, there are some masculine parts of myself that, you know, I've, they've become so ingrained in me that I'm like, yeah, they're there. I don't care. Yeah. Cause it's part of me. And you know, I had to wear a costume of like the punk rock dude for years. And so like that, 
you know, a dumb stoner humor is part of me too. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I think, um, you know, the reasons that I love Jim Adkins lyrics and Brian Fallon's lyrics so much is because they allowed themselves to, you know, they were, they were dudes that didn't just write about like partying and not, you know, not to diss Andrew WK cause he's on a different level of party. Well, that's different. Yeah. That's not, you know, what most people think of as partying, which is like getting fucked up and like, we're going to go play the show tonight. And then like, my boss sucks and my girlfriend broke up with me and like, you know, or just whatever <laughs> dudes write about. <laughs> no, there's like a lot of really boring punk songs out there that I don't care about. There's a lot of boring songs out there that like, just I can't relate to because they're just the subject matter is just. It's boring shit to me. Yeah. And it reminds me of the stuff that I used to write before I knew what to write oh, about. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's probably why. Because it's, yeah. it's like, yeah. Usually usually that's how that works when you really hate something. You're like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Whatever. Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, I hate that so much because it reminds me of the parts of myself that, that I don't I like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep, precisely. I wanted to ask you about two other things one is i know that you've done a couple i think acoustic solo acoustic tours yeah right and i wanted to talk a little bit about how playing and performing acoustically informs the stuff that you do for your rock and roll sets and then Mm -hmm. vice versa like how those things work together if you enjoy them both equally but for different reasons i it's just i think it's kind of a a curious thing because you know your sound as plasma canvas is so big and so heavy and so raucous yeah and i've never had the pleasure of seeing you play acoustic but oh so maybe you can talk about it well <laughs> um whenever you know i mean plasma canvas is plasma canvas we're the loudest gayest band in the world fuck you that's <laughs> that's that's our thing you know but even even with plasma canvas you know every now and then i'll like I'll just turn on the, you know, turn off the distortion pedal and play, you know, by the time the weekend comes, which is like my softest, sweetest song on the first record. You know, I just, I like to, to show different sides of, of me when we play. And I hope that I get those emotions across in Plasma Canvas because not all the songs are heavy. Like we have some heavy, angry stuff. We have some like positive like you can do it you stuff. have some jubilant stuff yeah yeah and then we also have like that i think you're really cute and i feel dumb about it stuff that's <laughs> 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 what context is that's what so i was thinking is is like i don't i don't know how i talk to you so i'm gonna write a song about it you know write a lot of love songs but um you know whenever i do acoustic stuff some of the songs that end up being plasma canvas songs started out as acoustic songs they just translate no yeah but i i really like playing you know i like doing the the reciprocal of that too i really like um taking songs like the killer majestic that don't you know it's the big heavy angry exclamation point of a song that we like to open and close shows with because like to put it in the middle of a set doesn't make sense because it's such a kick down the door moment and like I like to take that song and do it acoustically because it's a challenge. I think like playing different songs in different ways 
is a challenge for me that I really like. But playing acoustic sh- acoustic sets and making acoustic records, I really like because uh, I get to I get to play around with some with some different dynamics that I don't get to play around with in Plasma Canvas. I it feels more intimate whenever I play acoustic shows, like because it's quieter and there's just me and you know. But some of the most like beautiful moments that I've ever had as a musician came from moments like this right now, which like, if y'all, you know, y'all can't see it, people in the microphone that I'm speaking to, (laughs) I'm even looking at the microphone when I'm talking to it. Hello. Hi world. Uh, you can't see it, but we are in my living room in my apartment. And like some of the most beautiful moments I've had as a musician, it's like playing acoustic songs in people's living rooms, singing my songs the way, I sing them and like, you know, it's just so much more special whenever there's like five people or two people and you're just playing it just for them. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's some people you just met, but like there's no PA, you know, there's no like feedback. There's no like bartender. Sweet vocal compression and, you know, delay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's none of that. It's just like me and you and whoever's in here and this song that I wrote and that I'm like allowing myself to, to play for people. Do you ever wish that you had folks to talk to about songwriting? Like, do you feel very comfortable being in total control of the songwriting or do you sometimes wish that there were more folks to collaborate with or go, you know, like been thinking about this a lot recently. This is like just personally, I guess I'm asking it for personal reasons, but like, you know, sometimes like I'll write a song and I'll be like, this is awesome. Like, I love it. I love the melody. I love the way that, oh, and that turns around just like that. That's so great. And I, and I sing it. And I'm like, that's it. That's the song. It's great. And then yeah. sometimes I think, well, maybe it would be even better if I had sat with somebody and given my idea and they'd been like, oh, you know, that reminds me of this. Like, why don't we try this? And, and if it had been like a collaborative thing, sometimes I yeah. wonder, wow, maybe it would be even, even better. But I don't know if you ever feel that way or felt that way. I tend to be like very ironically, I tend to be very binary about that stuff. Um, Cause <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cause yeah, I'm not binary. Hey, yo. <laughs> no. um, but it, I tend to be very like, you know, I can, I can play two different roles in a band. I can play rhythm guitar and do backup vocals or I run the fucking show. Uh And, (laughs) you know, and that's like pretty much why Plasma Canvas is still a two piece. I mean, there's, there's other parts of it. Like Jude and I like, you know, the bond between me and one other person. And there's like a whole trust thing there. And like, you know, you know all about that two piece to two piece. I do. And I, you know, I, I feel really fortunate because the first show we played together was Dave's last show. Yeah. And I met Jude that night and he was so thrilled and excited and then it was not that long ago when we came back through and we played together again and i got Mm -hmm. to see plasma canvas with jude and it was great before and it blew my mind but there that dynamic that the two of you have is special and the sort of what jude brings is really cool it's really cool to watch yeah we're best friends yeah he's a good dude for sure and like he's so tolerant, <laughs> he's so patient with my diva ass, and like it, I really need that in somebody. And um, you know, it to answer your question, I I do love collaborating with people 
sometimes on some things, but like, I know what it should sound like in my head. It's hard to work with other people. Yeah. <laughs> and, you Generally, know, yes. it so is. <laughs> and like, you know, with, with Jude, it's, it's just cool. Cause like, I feel like, um, I think part of it is also just being able to express myself and like not have to worry about a filter. And I think part of that comes from like previous bands, um, and having to like run all the lyrics by everybody to make sure like we are okay as a band saying this to the world as an entity, you know, because like I was the voice of the band. Oh, I see. Yeah. And so like... Oh, I wouldn't like that at all. Yeah. That's part of why I was just like, let's keep this as small as possible because there's less egos. Yeah. And, you know, there's less schedules and there's less like creative input, which, you know, I mean, would it be cool to have like a piano part or a viola part or, you know, like some harmonies and stuff every now and then? Yeah, totally. I would love that. But we could put that on a record. Right. No, I just meant in the in the songwriting arranging process, mm-hmm. if you felt like, you know, it's something oh, you feel no. like you must. You're like, <laughs> you're like, I got this. I have a vision. It's It's just... I would love to be able to say that, like, I'm a team player, but, you know. No, no, I'm, I'm asking because I think it's interesting. No, no, no. Yeah. And that's not a criticism at all. It's Thank like- you for clarifying that exact thing that you just said, too, because, like, it's such a, you know, um, I kind of suck at taking criticism, but Jude is really diplomatic and sweet whenever he has like negative feedback for me. And I, you know, as much as like it's a flaw in my character, you know, I need that. You know, it's, it, it's interesting. Like, so you have this like incredible confidence and this vision, but then criticism is really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Fake it till you make it. I'm not confident at all. All. I am so insecure all the time. And so I overcompensate by being like this loud goofball of a person. And like it's, um, you know, sometimes it, it's endearing and sometimes it comes off as like, okay, we get it. You're in plasma canvas. Like, you, that's, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I, you know, I had that like. One of those like anonymous messaging things for a second. That oh, was no. a terrible idea. Oh no! Terrible oh, no. I idea. I couldn't. No, no. I mm-hmm. had a couple people be like, "Yeah, you're a really fake and petty person." I'm like, Jesus, really? And and another person was like, "Yeah, also, um, you know, the drummer for your band is really cool and nice and talented, but you know, as talented as you are, you're a pretentious asshole." And I'm like, "Yeah, all right, well." What oh, a- <laughs> I don't think I could have taken all that. Oh, but it's God. like the other thing is like it's things that I worry that I give off about myself. And then, you know, big old confirmation. Like, yeah, everyone oh, yeah. thinks you're a pretentious dick, you know, but. No, two weenies decided that they could be mean. Yeah. No, no. A couple people are jerks, but I think it, you know, also whenever you start building momentum, whenever you start a working for things and obtaining things people get jealous people want to take that yeah and like you know i'm not gonna beat on my chest and say like look what i did but like we're doing cool things and it's because we worked for it and it's because we grind all the time and like i got expelled from high school (laughs) over a bomb threat that i did not make like i was accused of it and the principal was just kind of like yeah you totally did it and i was like no i didn't and they're like okay bye 
And that's the Cliff Notes version of how I got expelled from school. But I always knew that, like, you know, I was a shitty laborer. I'm not good at math. I was never going to be able to, like, get through college. Like, I have ADHD. I have bipolar. I'm trying to navigate the world. A world that's like set up for people to have practical skills. You know, some people think in a linear fashion, and I think as a splash of paint on a canvas. I'm very impulsive, and I create things. And I never... I knew that, like, music was the thing that I would always love and the only thing that I was good at. (laughs) So I had to do that. And like, you know, if you have a plan B, then you're going to, you know, if you don't have a plan B, it's real easy to focus on plan A. Right. When I was editing this interview and reflecting on this conversation, I noticed that I'm not always listening as well as I would like to. When we listen to someone's story, the way we understand it is to relate anecdotes and insights of others to our own experiences and thoughts. This is the way humans understand new information. We relate it to what we already know. But sometimes our own point of view obscures us from really listening. I found that I did this a few times with Adrian. I didn't realize that when she and I were discussing music as an inevitable path for her, about 30 minutes prior to where we are right now in the conversation, she wanted to delve in further and let me know about her personal history with music, starting with what her life was like before she finally heard the songs that she felt like were made for her. I wasn't following her train of thought, so I kept diverting her to other points of conversation. I also tried to relate her experience of writing about very personal things as similar to my reasons for starting to play music in the first place, namely telling my story and specifically telling it from a female perspective. But Adrienne came to music for the love of music and her early influences were folks who at the time at least identified as men, but who could express their feelings much the way Adrienne wanted to, even if she didn't really fully understand where her point of view needed to come from at the time. I also didn't realize that I was pushing some buttons for Adrian when I asked about collaboration. When we engage with someone who doesn't think like us or whose conversational style is different from our own, I think it makes the listening all that more important. One of my personal goals for the coming year is to work on becoming a better listener, to slow down and understand that I can't shape someone else's experience into my own, that to relate to someone Sometimes we can't immediately hang their thoughts and ideas on our own. To engage as a listener takes time and an active openness I hope to get better at in the coming years. Luckily, Adrian brought the conversation full circle and brought us back to talking about her focus on making a career in music. And, like, you know, how many, like, girlfriends' parents told me, like, that's not a realistic career. You need to find something a little bit more realistic. Well, it's realistic if you dedicate your whole life to it. Yeah, and I have. Yeah. And, you know, I'm 29 years old, and I still play in a punk band, and that's fine, because I, um, we're playing with Against Me, goddammit. I, and I don't, <laughs> you know, this whole, like, fear of what you think people say about you. Mm -hmm. secretly behind your back like 
the age thing, it's like, who says that punk rock belongs to the young? Like, right. Who the fuck got to say that? Yeah. For for a whole movement that's supposed to be about breaking the rules and like abolishing norms and like doing things that are different and fun and new and unique, like they sure are pretty damn ageist about it, aren't they? Yeah. I, f- I you know, like it's it's been weird the last few years. Like I feel it. Like going down to Seventh Circle, you know, um, when I left my hometown, I was the punkest motherfucker there. Like, you know, I had my leather jacket and like my tattoos, my Misfits t-shirt, and I was super punk rock. And then I get to Denver and everybody looks like that except way better at it. <laughs> and like, you know, and they're all like 15. And like, I realize, you know, it's a uniform here. Like it's not, it has nothing to do with with like the merit of any of it it's just kind of like you know i was dressing a certain way because that was like how all my idols dressed and yeah. like you know and re- accessing something bigger than the town you come from right you know right. that's really important when you're young yeah. especially right like super important and i wanted to feel like me yeah. and then like i get here and i no longer feel special like i feel like i am quote unquote, not punk enough, which is like the least punk thing to think. Right. Cause like the whole idea of, you know, whatever punk is, was just to like break the rules and try new things and let other people try new things and like, don't be a dickhead. And, you know, I feel like that's all it should be. But, you know, whenever I see younger bands like turn their nose or younger people in general, just turn their nose up at bands like Dressy Bessie, who've like, they've been working their ass off for 20 years. And they're an incredible band. Yeah. And like, yeah, they're a little bit older, but their music is fantastic. And it always has been. And like, I'm bummed out that I'm only just figured out who they were in the last like year and a half or so. Right. And like, I just think that it's silly because I, I'm experiencing it, you know, like as a 29 year old, even, even in like in Fort Collins, you know, I'll play these shows and it's like, it's weird because these kids that are moshing are kids and it's starting to make me feel really old, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> it's fine. Just wait. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know kidding. it doesn't get I, any better. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, no, it gets, you know, there's a lot that gets better. Right. I'm just, For sure. I guess what I was trying to say is I've experienced people treating me shitty because they're younger than me and like, they feel like I'm outside of their like little friend group or whatever. Yeah. And like, that's fine. I get the tribalism thing. I get the like, this is our crew. Like I get that. Like I had a crew or whatever when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, it's the people who really understand you and nobody else really does. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. No, I mean, I absolutely Absolutely get that. There's one other thing that I have on my list, and I'll double check my list. I didn't know if you wanted to talk about like drinking and sobriety at all. Totally. Because yeah, this man. is something that you and I also share. Yeah. And I know you, um, since I've known you, you've quit drinking, started drinking again, and then quit drinking again. Yeah. So I think, you know, for a lot of folks who don't even just think about rock and roll or music like drinking and drugs and partying in the non Andrew WK way, uh, the more (laughs) traditional way of thinking about it, uh, is a big part of it. Right. And people are surprised sometimes when I'm like, I don't drink, you know, and, um, anymore. 
And uh, so I think whenever we met, were you still drinking then? Uh, I think when we first met, yeah, because it's only been a year and a half for me. Okay. Uh, I've I've done I've quit drinking before in my life, but this is um, the longest. But yeah, I definitely was. I'm sh- quite sure that I was drinking when we first met. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me. Yes, yes, I, of course. Um, but yeah, if so, I think it's interesting because also you know touched you touched a little bit on some mental health stuff too, and it's like yeah, it's all pretty connected. And being a creative person and trying to be you know, a full-time musician or make that your main gig, like alcohol in particular is like really present in all those things in rock and roll in like when people deal with their own mental health, it's often present, all that stuff. So I don't know. I'm just leaving it open for you to talk about. It's something that I have struggled with my whole life. Um, just addictive tendencies in general. And like, I think a lot of it has to do with like trauma and, um, you know, divorce and like, abuse that I'd suffered and like, um, just a lot of really awful things that I'd experienced in my life and like, um, not knowing how to cope. So like, you know, I have a, you know, part of the reason I'm a chubby kid is like overeat and like, um, and then when I was, food is powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fantastic and it's great, but it's also like, you know, how many people could quit smoking cigarettes if they had to have a cigarette? every single day to stay alive exactly that's why food is so tricky yeah i think this is the first time i've ever talked on record about like having issues with food but like yeah i've had issues with like um, eating disorders and everything my entire life whenever i was 15 16 i uh, got put on an adhd med and i lost a bunch of weight yes you did yep Mm -hmm. yep i lost a bunch of weight and everybody treated me really well I got hit on by all the cute girls. I was a pretty dude with long, pretty hair, and like I had pierced ears, and like you, you know, were ready for a zip-up sparkly onesie, my friend. I looked so hot, <laughs> you know, yeah. without saying like I don't know. I was sixteen, but like I felt really confident, and like you know, yep. But I still never felt like I was like skinny enough. Like I never felt like I was pretty enough. This I hear this a hundred and ten percent. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember just losing a bunch of weight and everybody like noticing and like complimenting me. And then mm-hmm. like what they didn't tell me about starting ADHD meds because I didn't know I was bipolar at that point. You know, was like you will take these meds and you will also have incredibly intense mood swings. And like if you run out of things to do and this pill like exits your system and you have a crash, like you're going to crash hard. Yeah. And I did. Yeah. And, you know, so like I, you know, later on in life, I abused Adderall a lot because like it made me smaller and like I just wanted to feel at home in my body. And like it was, I still don't. Did Adderall have a like the opposite effect did it like conk you out instead of like making you no it made me zoom zoom it made you zoom okay so that's what it does for most people yeah yeah and i like that i didn't try cocaine until i was 26 i think you know but i remember thinking like well this is like adderall except it only lasts for like maybe an hour and it's not great (laughs) and it's like super expensive and you know but like I remember trying it a few times and being like, okay, well, I can see why people love this drug, you know, and 
anything I've just realized that over the years, anything that I do, I can overdo. Right. And like, I think that's just the addict mentality. And like, um, whenever I was growing up, I would always find something to like binge on and like, like binge masturbation, binge, like having a partner that was also like hypersexual and like having sex all the time or like eating a lot of food or I couldn't go to a party and have a beer with my friends. I had to have like 15. I love the beers. Yeah. You know, like the 17 the year old thing of like, I got to drink as many alcohols as I can <laughs> and throw up over a balcony <laughs> and like threw up a few dozen times in my youth. And, you know, I'm terrified of vomiting and like quickly realized that like drinking wasn't really great for me. So I never really had a problem of like getting so drunk that I would throw up all the time. But like I was drinking for the wrong reasons. Is that why you stopped drinking most recently? It's just, Uh, it was a few things. Like, um, I stopped drinking and smoking cigarettes in January, 2018. I remember that. And I think in around like April, it was when I got like totally sober and I was sober for like two months and then we played with Descendants, and, like, somebody <laughs> handed me a hash pen after I played, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, like, I, I think also um, either right before that or right after that, my paperwork for my legal name change had gone through, said, yeah. and, like, I celebrated with a Bloody Mary, and, like, you know, yeah. that was the beginning of the backsliding. And, like, after that, I just ended up, like, diving into you know, using and using and using for the latter half of that year. And then like December 19th was when I got, was when I got sober the most recent time. And I think that was because like, I had like a moment where I was coughing a lot, but I had to keep smoking weed because that's just what I do, you know? So like I was drinking a lot and and I was smoking a lot of weed and I was smoking a lot of cigarettes and I just like, all at once just quit all of it. And like my first two weeks sober, I was, I wasn't even wanting to drink coffee because I didn't want to alter my mind. It was just like, I need like a total, like fucking soul detox. Like I don't want to have anything like altering me because I don't know who I am. I don't know. I didn't I think the most recent time I got sober was because I didn't know who baseline Adrian was like, right. You know, like I just didn't know where I was in in general. And, um, you know, that lasted until <laughs> 420. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I uh, started smoking weed again in April on 420. And like, that's been fine because I was taking uh, some mood stabilizers last year. And like, it just wasn't working out. I was trying to figure out a way to treat my mental illness. I was trying not to get stoned and I was trying not to drink. And it's been a really difficult thing to work through, you know, trying to do the right thing for yourself all the time. You're going to, you're going to inevitably screw that up. Yeah. And like, that's where I've been the last, the last year almost is um, like, trying to decide what is the right thing and i know that like if you don't if you don't pick up you don't get drunk and like if you don't pick up the first drink then you're not gonna like backslide like like i did last year right you know and like (laughs) 
I think the thing that I miss about drinking is I miss the things that tasted good, like Moscow mules and Bloody Marys <laughs> and like craft beer and mead. But like, you know, I don't miss being drunk. Yeah. I don't miss, you know, how antisocial I get when I'm drunk. Like I get way deep into myself and mm. like I go to a dark place. Yeah. But I also had a tendency to be the, the, I love everybody drunk and you're my best friend drunk. And like the, the weepy drunk of like, let me tell you how much are you mean to me? And I'm yeah. like, yeah. How, how are you feeling? Are you feeling good? I feel great without drinking. Yeah. You know, just celebrated 10 months. I didn't even make a post about it. I'm so proud of myself. Ah. Try not to like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I missed my year and a half. I was like, oh, shoot. Oh, well, I guess I'll just. Yeah. You know. I realized like the day after that it had been 10 months and I was just like, no, eh, I'm not even going to say anything. I'm just going to like on the year, I'm going to say it's been a year and that's yeah. it. And, you know, I think part of the way that I've been able to stay sober is like every month on the 19th I've been posting like this many months, no booze, this many months, no booze. Yeah. And, you know, people ask me how long I've been sober and I have to correct them. Like, I am California sober. Well, sober technically <laughs> means abstaining from alcohol. Is so, that what that means? Yeah. Because. Yep. It does not mean abstaining from uh, marijuana products or nicotine or mushrooms or whatever yeah. else. It really just means alcohol. Well, and yeah, if I mean, if that's but you can like, call it California sober too. Yeah. Most people know what that means. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's just I. Or people say green and sober. That's <laughs> green and sober. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's to you know I I use it to manage my moods and it it really does help. Yeah, you know? if it I mean, it's like not for me because I am like, I get super paranoid. But yeah, it really does. Like I have a lot of friends for whom like especially friends who tend to go to 11, mm-hmm. like it is so helpful for them to be able to focus and yeah. feel like a little bit settled. So at the end of the podcast where I talk to uh-huh. uh, musicians with their permission, if you want to share a plasma canvas song, now would be the time to tell us what song you want us to play and anything you want to tell us about it. I don't want to tell you to play anything from the first record because I don't like the way it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> I it's hear not... that. Totally. Yeah. Didn't y'all like take your first oh. record offline? So we <laughs> recorded, we've recorded a demo, mm-hmm. a full length record, an EP. Those first three things are not available. Yeah. Yeah. First three things we, re- we recorded so much stuff. I'm even like, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. Like, I, 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 just, I constantly feel like, what even was that? What even is that? I don't even know. But at the time, I was like, this is great. But I still feel like my band, even though we've been playing together for nine years, like, I don't even know what we are, should sound like. Like, we've started playing so many acoustic shows that I'm like, I don't know. I really like that. I think, you it's know... So I I relate because, but I also like, I think like, uh, it's a beautiful thing to not really know what your band should sound like. (laughs) That's something that, you know, I've been working through for, for the last, for as long as we've been a band. It's like, what do we sound like? I don't fucking know. I like a lot of stuff. Me too. And I like to play guitar in a lot of different ways. 
And I just want to do what I want to do, and everyone who's not feeding me, fucking me, or paying my bills can fuck off with their opinion about it, like, because I'm not making music for anybody else. (sighs) And I think that that actually is the thing that all of us have to say to ourselves at the end of every day, like, am I making the music that I want to make? And if not, then make something different tomorrow. But it's Mm -hmm. not... It's not about what people like or don't like. Because if you love it, then somebody, of course other people are going to love it because there's enough people in the world right? where there's going to be enough people who like what you do, whatever the fuck you do, you know? But it's really, that's hard. It's it's good that you have, I don't quite have that attitude, but I want it, you know? I, you know, I try to talk myself into having it. You know, it's like, fucking that's awesome. Because you know, as much as I want to be like, I don't care what anybody thinks, I'm going to do what I want. You know, like, it can be hard to actually follow through with that because it's, you know, as much as you, you, you want to, like, believe that that's what you really think, like, there's, all, there's also, like, yeah, but how's this going to look on stage? Like, what, you know, how are people going to react to this? And it's good to think of that stuff, too. Right. Like, well, you want to put on a good show. You yeah. Want, I mean, it's part of our job, right, is to put yeah. on the best possible show we can every time, every day. Yeah. But writing songs because – or not writing songs because you're afraid people won't like it. Yeah. That's a real dangerous place to be, I think. Yeah, that's 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 a place – I I can definitely say with full confidence that I've gotten over that because, you know, if I was worried about what people think, then I wouldn't have put a power ballad on my first record, Right. you know, or, or like, uh, a clean guitar song or whatever, or like some shreddy guitar bullshit. I just, you know, I, I want to stay true to what I want to do, Yeah. you know, but trying to you know because you you do want to put on a good show but you don't you don't want to have other people's opinions be what drives you to write what you do or don't write right exactly exactly it's a tricky balance um so all that being said is there something that you guys have recorded that you would want to share we yeah (laughs) you don't have to well no like we have um all of our stuff for free on on Bandcamp. But um, just for anyone who's listening, it's plasmacanvas.bandcamp.com. Oh, we're gonna absolutely list all the things. <laughs> well, and I also, well, I also have um, the acoustic stuff on my personal Bandcamp page, which is adrianrayash.bandcamp.com. And we'll we'll spell that out too at the end. Yeah. Can I give you two? Can I yes. give you two songs? Okay. Of course you can. You can do. You're in charge. Cool. Yeah. We're making this up. No one's, it's just you and me, like, Uh, (laughs) we can do whatever we want. (laughs) Well, for a Plasma Canvas song, it's the most recent thing that we've put out. There's a song called No Faces on our record, No Faces. And that song, you know, a little background on it. It's pretty, the lyrics are pretty self-explanatory, but it's just, I wrote it after Trump got elected and like when a lot of trans people were really scared and like, but also... I noticed that a lot of people are just disillusioned with democracy in general, and I don't blame them, but someone is going to get elected. And whether or not you are involved is going to determine what happens. And so I think like that song 
is just me wanting to like grab the shoulders of all the apathetic punks and be like do you even fucking give a shit because you should and people are dying people are you know there are children in cages there are trans people being murdered there are wars that don't need to be fought and nothing is going to be any different if like you don't put down your your petty bullshit and like come together and try to work on things yeah uh my whole thing is like people should be qualified for their job and part of our job Mm -hmm. is to make sure that qualified people take who take our money do something with it that's based on reason and science as much as possible yeah I also and compassion. I don't know how this didn't make it into like legislature, but how how did we get to the point where you can become you can serve the highest public office in the entire country without ever serving in a public office? You how are you supposed to serve the needs of an entire nation if you can't serve the needs of a local community? You like I feel like you should have to have held public office for at least a few years before you run the entire fucking country. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. I just I don't know. That that's something that I, I've just always thought and I don't understand how like we got this far and like nobody wrote that law. It's we didn't think we would ever need it because up until Trump, like every politician had been a politician. They yeah. had held office. And then like this guy's like, I was on TV and I said, you're fired a lot. And everybody's like, oh, that's awesome. Run the country. Yeah. Also just shady real estate dealings in New York and New Jersey for, you know, yeah. 30 years. Yeah. And not to mention all the misogyny and oh, growth and so gross. nasty stuff. But yeah. Right, so, so we're going to listen to no faces. So no faces. Yes. No faces, and then um, you know we'll just talk about context too, because okay. all the acoustic songs are love songs. But I want to give y'all no faces in context because I feel like it shows like the two different, like sort of. It's not two sides of our band, but there is a few different. But like, I like to write about things that piss me off and things that make me happy. Those are the big. Those are the big emotions. Yeah, yeah those are the those are the two big ones, and like. You know, the state of the world pisses me off, which is why I wrote No Faces and songs like Sister Knife and Kill the Nazi Next Door. And then uh, there are things that make me happy, which is like celebrating gender diversity as in hashtag gender party and like celebrating trans people. That song is just kind of like a everybody beat on your chest. Yeah, it's like it's we're great. here and we're queer and we don't give a fuck. Yeah. And um, but context is uh, a song that I wrote about a woman that I was in love with. I wrote it after we had spent an evening together uh, getting drinks and just like talking for a few hours at a bar. And like, I knew that I was in love with her that night and I went to a show. She went to go work on some stuff with an art project she was making. And, uh, I hit her up like, Hey, do you want to come to the show with me? And she was like, I'm actually working on some art stuff right now, but let's hang soon. And I was like, and then I pulled out notepad in my phone and jotted down, well, maybe I shouldn't see you now. Cause I don't want to forget that. I don't know the context of your actions. Like, I don't know if you're like smiling at me this much because we're you know we're friends or if you're smiling at me the way i'm smiling at you and you know so context is just about having a crush and like wanting to tread very lightly because uh, you're afraid you're gonna screw it all up yeah oh those, but, everybody knows that that yeah. initial feeling where you're just 
you know that's yeah it's a special feeling and i love i love capturing those specific moments like those specific feelings that people can relate to yep and um context is also explicitly a lesbian love song it's a gay song it's a gay love song i'm trying to create representation here but also from the loudest gayest punk rock (laughs) band in the world yeah okay but you know it's (laughs) But also there, you know, I've heard of like a straight couple getting together because one of them played the other one, that song and like Aww. told them that they had a thing for that. And that was so sweet. But, you know, it's a love song, y'all. Fall in love and be happy. Fall in love and be happy. And fuck Nazis. Yeah. Fuck Nazis. <laughs> fuck Trump. <laughs> one, three, one, two, a cab. Any Abolish other? Ice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Any other parting words of wisdom? Focus on your effort rather than the outcome and don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Those are good ones. Thanks, Adrian. Yeah, thank Jim Atkins. I totally ripped him off. That's fine. We're all ripping each other off. I have 23 tattooed on my arm from one of his songs. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Full circle. Yeah. Look at that. Look what you did. <laughs> That's, I see what I did there. You, I see what you did there. <laughs> One final reflection before we listen to No Faces and Context from Plasma Canvas. From the very start of our conversation, Adrian spoke about the importance of the audience experience, the importance of letting insecurities go on the stage, making eye contact, and letting loose for the direct benefit of the audience. The fact that Adrian so clearly understands the impact her music and performance can have on her community is an inspiration. As someone who's been in the audience several times, I can tell you that it's hard not to love Adrian and Plasma Canvas. You can tell that Adrian lives by some very solid Andrew W.K. advice, which is to focus on bringing joy to the people around you and to yourself. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And please do tell a friend if you've been enjoying the Unstoppable Rock podcast, which is part of the Spirit of Rock Network. My band, When Particles Collide, would love your follow or like on Spotify, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just search When Particles Collide on your favorite platform. We're also on Patreon, which is a platform that allows folks to directly support artists and the work that they make. You just go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search for When Particles Collide. Once you're there, you can chip in a dollar a month, $2 a month, or $5 a month to help us keep touring, meeting all of these amazing folks, and making the podcast. We'd really appreciate your support. And now, here's No Faces and Context from Plasma Canvas.
Yeah.